Hey gearheads and welcome to Garage Talk, a discussion about all things automotive. I'm Corey. And I'm Matt. And each week this podcast will serve as a catalyst for discussion on all sorts of topics that grind our gears, rev our engines, or just need a bit more conversation. And that's exactly what this episode is. A bit more conversation because last week's episode was just too good. We were getting too much quality conversation and discussion with our guest, Bryant Blakemore, that we just kept recording and we split the episode into two. So today's episode is part two of our conversation about desert racing, Baja racing, dirt... uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know words. If words. it involves wheels <laughs> and being in the dirt, it was covered between last yes. week's and this week's episode. And so tonight, today, this episode, we continue that very discussion, close out our first encounter with Bryant, because I know for a fact we will be keeping the lines of communication open. You have expressed interest in following up with some of uh, his side projects that he's involved in, which we cover in this episode. So that that's very fun. You can see, you know, what Garage Talk is committing itself to in the in the very near future. I love you, uh, Emily. <laughs> by <laughs> just listening to and following along with our conversation in this episode. And without further ado, I will quit yapping and let Bryant finish his story. 2017 was our plan to go to Baja. Now we had looked it up and researched and tried to figure cost and looked at the type of racing that was going on and some things, some other factors. And we decided that we were going to do something a little different with the truck. We were still going to go to Baja and we were still going to race a thousand miles, but we weren't going to go race the score Baja 1000, which when everyone imagines the Baja 1000, that's the race that they think about. It happens in November every year, and it's either a loop race or a, an entire peninsula run down the, the Baja Peninsula. I had been invited to be a part of a team uh, at the Nora Mexican 1000, which happens in April. I went in 2015 to support a guy that found me on the Internet and said, hey, I think you know what you're doing. Will you come help me? All you have to do is pay for your flight to San Diego and your flight home. And I said, yep, done paid for when do we leave and that introduced me to that event and i said this is the event this is what we're going to do uh it's a rally uh, a, a stage rally of sorts in that you have uh course notes that you have to follow so printed notes that tell you turn here turn there do this do that stay left stay right jump uh sand water crossing all of those types of things so you It's a different style of navigating. Now, we also have GPS files, but we have these course notes as well, which I thought was very interesting uh, to learn to navigate with. But the biggest draw was that we would spend seven days doing race activities in Baja. Five of those days were racing, and we raced from Ensenada, which is about 60 miles south of San Diego, south of the border, all the way down to Cabo San Lucas. You don't do that in the score 1000 the best way that it's been described to me between the two events while you do cover similar mileage is that the nora 1000 is like getting into a scuffle with your buddies in the parking lot joking around horseplay and then you go to the bar and you drink and you have a good time the 
score 1,000 is stepping into the ring with a professional boxer and getting pounded <laughs> in the face 36 hours, and then everyone goes home hating each other <laughs> until you know about 10 minutes after you get home, and then you want to do it again. Yeah. So those are the comparisons uh, but between the two, as it was put to me a couple times. Well, I wanted to go enjoy Baja and hang out with my buddies. I didn't want to get punched in the face for 36 hours. That sounds brutal, and I'm not sure we're ready for that. So we decided to do the, the Nora Mexican 1000 in 2017. We prep the truck. We prep our chase trucks. We do everything we can possibly do. We try to get uh, as much knowledge as we can about the area. The The year before that I'd gone down there, I took paper road maps and wrote down on the, ga- uh, on the maps which towns had gas stations, which towns offered diesel, because I knew that these were all challenges in Baja. It's a big deal to go down there. It's not like being in the United States. Uh, if you need deaf fluid at that time, you could either buy it in Ensenada at the Ford dealer or Cabo at the Ford dealer, and they're 1,500 miles apart. Oh. So there's nothing available in between. Uh, you lose cell service as soon as you leave the village or town limits. The roads are extremely narrow. Uh, it gets dark, very dark, very fast out there uh it's it's a whole other world so we we had to prepare ourselves without ever having any or very little experience down there now i had grown grown up going to mexico as a kid being 10 miles from the border my entire childhood i would go down there and we'd go camping and whatnot so the mexican culture and speaking spanish while i'm not fluent i know enough to get in trouble but not out of trouble <laughs> it, it was enough it was enough to get by and, uh, you know, and I wasn't scared of it. I'm not scared of Baja. Mainland Mexico nowadays, different story. But Baja, no, it's this is we're there to race. We're celebrities when we show up. Right. But we needed to be aware that it, it was dangerous and we wanted to get home, uh, you know, green flag to checkered flag. As soon as we leave Texas to get back to Texas, that's the goal. So we get we get down there and, uh, and we start racing that. And uh, the realization hits that I am actually crossing off the very top of my bucket list for my entire life yeah you know that i am racing my own vehicle in baja for a thousand mile race that's unbelievable you know i'm i'm not anybody of any significance i i'm just some kid from south texas that saw a a class 11 beetle in a picture from the 70s and said, I'm going to do that one day. And here I am. And, uh, and it, it was, it was unbelievable. We raced, uh, the whole race we finished, uh, as, as is our goal. We didn't finish without difficulty. We lost brakes and power steering for the last two days, uh, which is in a, in a 9,000 pound solid axle truck on 37s is a chore. Uh, I, uh, I nearly embarrassed myself at one of the finish lines by, shifting the entire finish line ramp back a few feet because the truck was stalling out and I had to two foot <laughs> throttle it to keep it from dying. And, and then when I exited the ramp, uh, it wasn't fastened to the road properly and I spit it out from behind the truck. And that, that was exciting and uh, nearly got us disqualified from the entire race. Uh, I had to go through a deal to, to fix that. And fortunately the live feed for the race cut out right before I showed up. Nice. And, uh, and nobody saw it on the internet. So there's no, there's no uh, 
Photograph that I've been able to find in three years. There's no evidence of that happening. <laughs> uh, you know, and we made it. We made it all the way to Cabo. And uh, and I am extremely grateful for my partners at that time uh, helping me with the vehicle and helping me achieve my my dream. And uh, for everyone that supported us and all of the, the companies that we were able to work with, uh, for suspension and for wheels and for different parts on the vehicle and, and my family that helped support support this endeavor. I literally could not have done it by myself. Uh, I, I can't afford that kind of thing really on my own. It is incredibly expensive. Uh, for people wondering, without any of the cost of the vehicle, just fuel for two chase trucks and one race car and all of the hotels and all of the people going down and going back. And it was 6,000 miles uh, just to get there and home. It took two days to get to Mexico uh, and two days to get home from Mexico and two more days to get out of Mexico after we were done with the race. Mm. All of that all in, you've got to have about 30 grand ready to do that. Uh, you know, it, to, to be realistic about, about the numbers, I'm not scared to talk about it because people want to do it. They yeah. need to know. Yeah. Um, you know it, and we did it. We did it on an extreme sh- sh- shoestring budget. Uh, we were running in a very limited vehicle that ran on pump gas. It was nothing fancy. We had uh, m- mild prep in, in the vehicle. Uh, we bought our vehicle used, you know, we, we, we didn't spend a lot to, to do it. And it still cost us yeah. uh, a significant amount to, to be a part of that deal. And I, like I said, I'm extremely grateful for all of these opportunities coming together into that. So we, that was all we did for 2017 with the race truck. Now my, my association continued to put on races in Texas and we had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, we also had some trouble at the end of, uh, of our 2017 season um, the, some of the logistical aspects of putting on desert racing in Texas is, uh, unknown and very difficult. Uh, we have a different set of rules that we have to play by here in that we have private land. Private land is good, uh, because it's the state does a very good job of protecting landowners from idiots that want to do stupid things on their property. But private land is also difficult because, it's private and you have to have permission from the landowner. Whereas out West they have uh, BLM land, it's public and you can, while putting on an organized event is, is different, but you can go out there in your pre-runner whenever you want and pull off the highway and go scooting through the desert and have a good time. Uh, and the sport, while some of our circles are familiar with it, the general population is, is not familiar with desert racing in Texas and the, the dirt lifestyle, so to speak, like they have in SoCal and pre-runners and fiberglass fenders and king shocks and, yeah. you know, all of these things, they're new. It's new to Texas. And uh, that's one thing that I'm, I'm trying to work towards is bringing that environment here in a way that Texas puts its own hospitality on it, but people see the community that comes from it and that the way that we use the land is in a way of conservation mindedness. Yes, we're in machines, but we want to make sure to, to conserve the land so that we continue to use it, things like that. And that landowners have an opportunity for uh, developing recreational income through things like this, uh, you know, and everything that's involved in the sport. Off-road power sports is a 
multi-billion dollar industry, you know, and, and Texas needs to have a, have a piece of that. We, we can offer some amazing things for it. And, uh, you know, so at the end of the year, in 2017, with my race association, we ran into some hardships with that, and we haven't put on a race since uh, with that organization. Um, the race team decided that we wanted to try to do one big race a year. Uh, 2017 was our Nora 1000 event. 2018, we raced the Mint 400, which we completed our class. Uh, we ended up finishing fourth in our class in that race on both rear leaf springs broken. Uh, wow. And we still, oh, we still finished. That was, that was pretty wild too. I came in during that race. Uh, it seems like I'm pretty hard on the vehicle because all these <laughs> things happen when I'm in it, but I swear that I'm not. Sure, sure. <laughs> We all but, uh, so yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> I came into the pits. I was running the last lap. My my, I like to finish the race because I like to give the finishing interview type thing. I may be a little bit of an attention whore, but it is what it is. <laughs> uh, that that runs some risk. Uh, it runs the risk of me not being able to do that because my teammates have to race cleanly. And I have confidence in them that they will. Uh, it provides me to give them the opportunity to get time in the vehicle, you know, and I, I, I don't have to be in the vehicle. I want to be, but if other people can do it, then I would like that opportunity. And then it puts me in front of the camera at the end and I don't mind that at all. Uh, but we, yet you have to make it, you have to make it to the finish line. Right. And we almost didn't, uh, we, I came into the last pit and the pit, the guys were looking over the truck, uh, and we we pit. Those of us that are driving and navigating, we pit when we're not in the truck. We don't have a big team. We have maybe six people in all, and I had two other partners plus me, so it was me and two other guys that owned the truck and drove it. And then we had three other people out there helping us. It's very small, very small team, but they were looking over the truck as I was coming into my last pit. We had about forty-five minutes lead on the vehicle behind us and we were in third place, solid third place. Well, they got to the back of the truck and one of my partners in the truck who is an incredible fabricator said, uh-oh. And I was like, uh, uh, uh-oh. And he was like, nope, stay in the truck, take a nap. Don't look back here at what we're doing. Don't worry <laughs> about it. We'll tell you where you can go. And, uh, and so they, they're working on the back of the truck and I'm trying to take a nap and keep my wits about me and, uh, and whatnot. And they finally, you know, after a while we kept watching the tracking to see how far back the other, that other competitor was, and he was getting closer and getting closer and getting closer and finally, okay, go, but take it easy. Take it easy. What does that mean? <laughs> you gotta, but what do you mean by that? Don't worry about it. Just be easy on the truck. And I was like, Okay, so I took off and, and uh, drove the last little bit going in, and the back end of the truck felt awkward, you know, and I, I didn't hit any big jumps, and I just I cruised it, cruised it in to the finish, and I see uh, I'm almost to the finish line. I mean, probably less than 10 miles, and I see lights behind me, and the rule is, you know, if you see a vehicle approaching you, they're obviously faster. Pull over and let them by. So I pull over and I let this guy by. 
and he's got the same class numbers as me. So I let my competitor go by and take third from me, knowing that I had to finish the race. I could not push the truck because I didn't know what was wrong with it. I didn't know how long it would last. Get it to the end. And uh, so I, I, my stomach just sank. I was like, oh, man, a podium. We could have had a podium finish in, in a really big race. And, uh, and I just I let him go. And I'm like, it's OK. It's OK. We just got to get there. And so we make it. We make it to the finish line. I don't push the truck. I don't try to catch that guy. I let him, let him go. And uh, we get to the finish line, and the team comes out and looks and we're waiting and staging to go up to the to the podium or to the uh yeah i guess the finished podium you know where they're interviewing all the racers and all that and i get out and stretch my legs and look back on the what they were messing with on the truck and i see this wad of duct tape and i'm like what is that and then i see a one inch ratchet strap and i'm like what is that and then i see three vice grips and i'm like this is not getting better <laughs> and so they the top leaf had snapped right at the uh axle clamp and that which was also our lower shock mount right on top of the axle tube and the top leaf there had snapped and sprung up and the only thing holding the entire leaf pack to the truck was one small bolt that holds the spring pack together one of those one clamp on there and they had unloaded the suspension brought everything back down vice gripped it together zip tied the vice grips to the truck so if they fell off we wouldn't lose those Mm -hmm. duct taped everything and wrapped a one inch ratchet strap around all of that and taped that up and i was like oh man i'm glad I'm glad you guys didn't tell me what you were doing back there. Boy, no kidding. <laughs> so, we we finished with everything intact. All the vice grips were there. Everything was there. I think there were some sockets wedged in there somewhere, probably 10 millimeters. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, then, then we walk around to the other side of the truck because about halfway through my last little section of racing, the back end got really squirrely. And, and I thought, man, I better back it off a couple notches because something is not good back there. And it turns out that the leaf spring on the other side had, had done the exact same thing in the last oh. few miles of the race. So we were literally held on by a thread to make it, but we made it. And that that's always the goal to, is to finish. And uh, so with those experiences, you know, I've got hours worth of stories. And I, I didn't even give any stories about in Baja or anything no. like that, you know, and it, it, uh, it's amazing that this, this sport has become my, my, really my only in, interest. And I've got some interest in some other cars and, and of mm-hmm. course I always will. I'm, I'm a gearhead, uh, but off-road racing is better than I could have ever imagined it would be being a seven-year-old kid on a couch, looking at pictures from the seventies about it. And I, I am so thankful to share it with people and to share it with mm-hmm. y'all and the audience and everyone. I, I, I hope that it is inspirational for them to either uh, get into the sport, which is what I really want, more people involved in desert racing, especially in Texas, or to just pursue what they wish to pursue. You know, that one little dream that they've had their entire life, 
go after it. You know, what it's going to be difficult and it takes a lot of work, but you can do it. And if you do it, I, I hope that you find that it is better than you imagined it ever would be, uh, because it, it has been for me. Uh, unfortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately, the race association, uh, I bought my partner out at the end of 2018 in that. And I also bought out my two partners in my race car. It's unfortunate because I, I really enjoyed working with all those people and we did some incredible things. However, they, their interest changed and that's fine. It happens. My interest did not. So I kept everything. Uh, but it's three times the work now for me right. and three times the cost. And, and because of that, my race truck has sat for two years, uh, since the, the 2018 mint 400, uh, with with some issues that I need to resolve in it, and it just sits in my shop until I get time to work on it and money to spend on it. I'm close. It's very close to being back on the road better than ever, and uh, and I look forward to being able to race it again uh, in Texas. The association, kind of the same thing. Uh, we've we've furloughed for a while, trying to reorganize and and figure out the best approach to the sport. But uh, I've got some new people interested in working with me on that. 2021, I'm checking out. Uh, a handful of brand new race courses that nobody has ever raced on that aren't even real race courses yet. They're just property where people have said, Hey, that sounds cool. I think I'll let you do that here. Awesome. And, uh, so it, the, the future is bright and dusty as I like to say <laughs> yeah. uh, for the sport. There's, yeah. there's a lot of really, really cool stuff happening. And, uh, and that's, that's my main passion. And, uh, and I'm, again, I'm extremely grateful for any opportunity I have to share that and to provide other opportunity for people. Uh, shoot, I went to Southern California earlier in uh, 2020, and I bought a 1976 Datsun 620 King Cab pickup truck uh, that has it's set up for desert racing. And I found it super cheap on Facebook. It was affordable for me to buy the truck and drive out to SoCal and pick it up and bring it back to give somebody in Texas a vehicle to start desert racing with awesome. uh, it needs a few safety things in it but i've got it i'm selling it for what i have in it right now which is under three thousand dollars oh wow uh, you can't get a race car for any cheaper yeah. it's the cheapest way i just want somebody to have this opportunity to to uh to try it i guarantee you that if you have any interest in motorsports or cars or anything as soon as you set foot at a desert race or get to sit in a desert vehicle, you will give up everything else that you have interest in, and you'll only <laughs> want to do that. I That's I fantastic. Promise. Well, I can instantly see now why when I brought up the TRX uh, in talking to you earlier, why you have such a vested interest in that. Not only are you a Dodge slash Ram guy, but that vehicle was purpose-built for what is your passion. And Oh, uh, yeah. I, I can only imagine that you watched all the media press coverage of the FCA event. Every single <laughs> with everyone. With just I follow I follow every journalist on yeah. Instagram that has posted a picture of it. I like all the pictures. I I message the guys that are involved in building it. I email them. I call them. I want to be a part of that program. Yeah. That this so speaking about that, when when the Raptor came out, I followed it from being a concept. And I thought, cool, a, a, a purpose-built desert truck that I can buy from the factory. This is going to be awesome. 
I'm not going to lie. I was disappointed when it came out. And I haven't driven the, the EcoBoost version, but it sounds terrible, and I don't have any interest <laughs> in driving it now. But I drove the 5.4 and I drove the 6.2 and I was disappointed. My my single cab 12 valve long travel Cummins pickup felt better in every situation than those Raptors did. And I was pretty bummed about that. And then uh, what was it? 2016 when the TRX concept mm-hmm. was floated around and uh, I thought, well, I have Rams now, and I guess I'm going to be a fanboy for a particular <laughs> brand, and that's going to be it. So please, please, please build that truck. It needs to happen. The, the Raptor can't be the only one in that division. And when they came out with it, I, I know some of the guys that, had not extremely personally, but I've interacted through desert racing uh, with some of the guys that, that drove the TRX in the in the commercials when they first released the truck, you know, I I I know some of those guys right. through desert racing, and I was able to talk to some people that set up the the media drives for them, uh, you know, for some of them, and I asked them, I, what do you think? Because you know what is required of a desert vehicle. What do you think? And they said this is the most unbelievable vehicle we've ever driven for this wow. type of thing. And, and the, the, every journalist has said the same thing. And these are people with experience yeah. in, these, in these vehicles and in this environment and for what this vehicle is built for. And I have seen no negative feedback on yeah. it, aside from maybe someone complaining about the bed size or something like that. <laughs> Come on, I don't care. That's, that's not what this vehicle's for, right. you know. And, but for, for what it is for, the, the, the praise is, is amazing. And uh, so what I would like to see happening, and I there's, I hear some chatter every now and then, some subtle hints that Ram is planning to, to race the truck. Uh, BITD, Best in the Desert, out, out in Nevada and in that area, they have a class. It's called Class 1200. It is for full-size production vehicles. It's similar to what stock full was uh, back in the day. Um, and whatnot, and, and there's only one vehicle that competes in that class, and there's only one vehicle that competes in the. Uh, they make I, I don't know what the name of it is. It's class 7300, but it's for the midsize trucks, Colorados, uh, Rangers, Tacomas, things like that. There's only one in each of those classes, and they're both run by Rod Hall's son Chad, uh, Hall Performance or Hall Racing. Uh, and one is a Silverado Trail Boss, and one is a Colorado ZR2. Wow. Amazing vehicles. That's cool. They're the only ones on the track. Come on, manufacturers. Yeah. Let's give them some competition. It's not a race until you have two. Right. And so I, I feel very strongly that the TRX will just dominate that stock class with no modifications mm-hmm. allowed from the factory. And that itself is a marketing tool to the consumer hey this is the same truck that you can buy from the dealership and and uh and it's out here doing all this stuff and surviving i know it will survive well it's just like what trans am racing was in the 60s for camaros and firebirds it is the modern day you know race on sunday sell on monday kind of situation because that's exactly what you want it's 
it's the new frontier. Oh yeah. Well, and and Ram back in the seventies and eighties, and maybe the early nineties. Dodge at that time, through Rod Hall and Walker Evans, was the best off-road racing you could find. The the trophy truck, quote unquote, didn't come around until early to mid '90s. Uh, what what the first iteration of a trophy truck was. So when people were racing trucks, they were racing stock or lightly modified pickups with steel bodies that you could find at the dealership. In fact, Dodge created uh, Rod Hall paint schemes and sold Rod Hall edition trucks at the dealership because of his success in Baja. And that, you know, what, what better way to sell a vehicle? And, and I, a lot of guys have, have, you know, trophy truck or class one dreams. They want the horsepower and they want the wheel, the wheel travel. My truck that I have now, it technically is a class eight, but could squeeze into stock full. If I made a few adjustments, it's a stock Dodge Ram three quarter ton. It doesn't have anything fancy under it it's got off the shelf suspension for the most part uh it's got a stock drivetrain it has limited wheel travel it's just a beast and so i believe and i enjoy factory racing and that that type of thing and i feel that when when ram steps into that world and gives chevrolet a run for their money then there needs to be some serious call outs and we need to call out forward and say, why isn't the Raptor out here? You, yes, you put it in Baja when you first made it, but it hasn't been back since unless it was private. So let's get the Raptor back out here. Let's call Toyota and uh, get a Tundra out in that class. Oh, wait, there's a class for the Ranger. There's a class for the Tacoma. Hey, Ram, let's bring back the Dakota. There's a class for that. Okay, let's take this one step further. You can buy Copo Camaros and you can buy drag pack challengers at the dealership with cages and fuel cells and everything. Why not sell off-road desert trucks the same way? Absolutely. Turnkey, you can finance it and you can have an off-road race car. Sure, it's not street legal, whatever. Maybe the state that you live in, you might be able to squeeze it around. But, you know, you can buy a turnkey race car, a full-size truck, and race it and have some sort of OEM initiative to, to do that you're already doing it on the drag strip let's do it in the desert absolutely let's do it in texas in the desert absolutely you know, so and I, that's I, where the market's is, going because gonna, <laughs> right yeah right i agree i agree I, I think that more people you know what at least once a week i see a new vehicle around town with fiberglass fenders on it which to people listening in southern california or whatnot that no big deal but in texas it's a big deal and that dirt lifestyle uh, with overlanding and with you know just off-road exploring and things like that people want to get out and see things and go do things that there's a there's a a a transition changing from sport vehicles to some degree to off-road vehicles you know and and uh, i i think i think that ram is poised in the perfect position to really catapult not only themselves but the sport as a whole and I, I want in. I want in on that, whatever it takes, whatever position it can be. I've got a race truck and a chase truck that can be used for support. I've got ideas and plans and renderings and paint jobs and race suits designed. I mean, I've got all kinds of stuff going on with this thing. You hear that? And I, I want in and I, I want to see. I want to, that's right. You know, uh, 
uh, I'm real easy to get a hold of, and I answer my phone 24 hours a day. And uh, you know, I I want to be a part of it because I because yeah. I see it not only for an opportunity for me to do something cool, my next bucket list item, so to speak, but as an opportunity to introduce more people to the sport, introduce more people to the brand, the Ram brand, and grow and develop the sport as a whole for everybody. Uh, you know, competition breeds innovation. Yep. And if you don't, if you're not competing, then you're not looking to change. And uh, if you are competing, then you get better. Uh, everyone gets better. And we all come together, especially in the off-road world, that, that uh, I feel that, that a corporate involvement at that, you know, that type of thing is uh, is going to be immense for the sport. And I can't wait. I can't wait to see factory racing coming back like it was in the 70s, 80s and 90s, uh, where where OEMs were supporting the sport. And yeah. there's so much opportunity. It's just there's so much opportunity. Absolutely. To, to do, yeah. To do cool stuff with it. I, I completely agree. And I see a lot of that with um, with Jeep and the Bronco, uh, the, the Wrangler and the right. Bronco competition that started up now. And like you mentioned, the, the TRX and the Raptor too, um, you know, the ZR2 I, and the Ranger Raptor. There's, yep. there, there are some things that are coming, uh, and and I do believe that that the industry, that the consumer is ready for those things too. Um, I'm excited to see I, what's coming. I agree. I, I I appreciate the the effort that the OEMs are putting into the off road segment and building vehicles that that uh, can be legitimately a part of that and aren't just you know show vehicles and aren't just you know basic lift kitted vehicles you know from some outsourced company and whatnot they they're performance vehicles yeah and they're well engineered performance vehicles and i believe in it 100 percent. and I, I'm, I'm very thankful that it's happening uh i'd be even more thankful if i could be a part of it too <laughs> absolutely well where can people find you uh to support everything that you're involved with right now uh, to be able to find you. Sure. And, and you know, if, if we just happen to know somebody at FCA that could get a hold of you that's listening to the podcast, how can they get a hold of you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so I am heavily active on Facebook. That's my primary. So either me as an individual, Bryant Blakemore, or Equachi Motorsports, uh, or uh, Tora Tejas Off-Road Racing Association, any of those, send me a message, whatever, and I will give you more information to go other places and see things that may interest you uh, on an individual level, you know. And then I also am pretty heavy on Instagram. Uh, same, Tequachi Motorsports, T-A-Q-U-A-C-H-E, Motorsports, all one word. That's my personal Instagram. Uh, and then I have an Instagram also for the Race Association, Tora, or Tejas Off-Road Racing Association. Uh, that's a bit inactive right now because we've kind of been on hiatus while we reorganize and try to do some other things uh, with with that. But it'll be hopefully coming back in the next year or two with some new stuff. There are other race associations in Texas, uh, the TDRA and STOR, S-T-O-R-R, uh, that race off-road in Texas now. If you want to get into something now, contact me. I will help you get in touch with those guys. Like I said, competition breeds innovation. Absolutely. And we, we have to work together to, to grow the whole sport. Texas is huge, and there's plenty of room for everybody to do the things that they want to do. And uh, and I, I'm i easy to get a hold of. Uh, email, phone, it's all public information. I, I don't hide in the shadows. Yeah. Uh, I like to talk to people about anything, and especially if it's something that 
I can help them with uh, on their own path. I, I really enjoy doing that. So reach out to me, anybody. Yeah, awesome. and we'll put links in, in the show notes to all your uh, online persona uh, so that people can quickly and easily, just from listening, scroll up and find that link and click on there good, good. And, and get to you from there. Before we dive into our last segment, I do have one question sure. that I, I've just been dying to talk to you about. Okay. And that's the hoopty. Hoopty extra. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, and right. you hadn't even touched on it yet. I, I figured it would have been uh, something that we talked about earlier on. But uh, nice. just seeing some of the pictures of what you had been through and, and what you brought to that, just go into that. Sure. So the 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 hoopty x or hoopty cross whatever you might call it uh it's h o o p t i e x uh it is a super super budget friendly grassroots as grassroots as it gets style of rally cross kind of racing it is literally the cheapest way to go racing in the dirt anywhere I didn't start it, but I'm I'm fortunate to be involved with the guys that did. It originated from the Gambler 500, and I, I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but up in the Pacific Northwest, <clears throat> a, a group of guys decided to buy cheap cars and try to make it through the forest roads of Oregon to go to some bar or something like that, and it turned into this ridiculous off-road waypoint rally <laughs> not a competition it's not a race but you spend five hundred dollars on a minivan and you try to drive it through the forest and pick up trash along the way it's automotive based conservationism uh, is what it is well one of the guys involved in that was really interested in having a competitive side to it so he got with the guy that started it uh the the, the two guys that i've interacted with are uh Tate Morgan and Chuck Brazer, and I, the internet is a wild place. I got hooked up with these guys through the internet, and uh, and somehow they gravitated towards me and doing what I'm doing and, and thought that I could add value to, to what they were doing, and we've remained, you know, good friends and are in contact and constantly, you know, bounce ideas off each other and whatnot. Well, Chuck wanted to race. And the gambler events, they're all over the nation. They're actually all over the world now. And they're all the same premise. Cheap, ridiculous cars that are not supposed to go to these places, go to these places, clean up the trash along the way. That's that's it. And uh, Chuck wanted to have a competitive side to it. So he said, OK, so let's take these cheap, ridiculous cars and actually do time trials in the dirt on a rally style course. Or something like that and they figured it out they they figured out how to do it legally and safely and uh, they started it in Oregon and whatnot and I, I was following along with what they were doing and I called Chuck and I said hey I can I can give you a place to do this in Texas we can do this in Texas uh, what do you think and he said yep whatever you want to do let's talk about it and do it so fortunately I live uh, at a lake in West Texas, believe it or not, that has water in it. Hey. And uh, just just outside of Lubbock, and it actually has an OHV park attached to it. So my backyard is an off-road park. Uh, 
not even joking. I can see it from where I'm sitting right now. Nice. Oh. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I spoke with the lake management and I said, Hey, I want to bring this ridiculous event here. What do you think? And the lake manager was like, that looks awesome. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, so we brought, we brought hoopty cross to Texas and, uh, the, the, there's, there's a class for every vehicle. Uh, l- literally, if you show up and it's safe, you can race it. You can bring a Mazda Miata. You can bring your mom's uh, Honda Odyssey with or without permission. It doesn't matter to us. <laughs> you can bring your grandmother's uh, Park Avenue. You you know you you can bring a stock F one fifty pickup. You can bring a Raptor. You can bring a side by side. You can bring a uh, desert race vehicle. And by the way, pretty much all of these are vehicles that have shown up to this right. event. Uh, you can bring a full-on trophy truck if you want. I haven't had one of those yet, but it's on my list. I've got some people that uh, I'm trying to, to coax out of their shops with their with their race cars. Uh, but literally anything. And it's subdivided into classes. There's a two-wheel drive class, a four-wheel or all-wheel drive class. Uh, and then there's what's called the hater class, which are for not $500 vehicles. A little more modified, a little better equipped. And then there's the super soft class for those of us that like long travel and bypass shocks and high horsepower, <laughs> actual race cars, uh, you know, UTVs, things of that nature. The course that I've got set up here in Texas is gnarly. Uh, most of these courses are dirt and they're about a mile and a half long and they have some jumps and things like that. And they're pretty cool, but it's like, it's like, uh, um, like rally cross, like you'd see, you know, going on, not parking lot racing, but pasture racing, so to speak, not knocking it. That's cool. But this is Texas. I race in Baja. We're going to give them a challenge. Right. So I, I put together a four and a half mile loop that has rocks and soft dirt and silt and jumps and whoop some small whoop sections. And, uh, blind corners and things like that and spectacular views of the lake and and whatnot and uh while i did not intend on breaking cars with my course we've <laughs> broke a lot of cars with this course uh sure we've done don't. it uh <laughs> right yeah you know I, I want everyone to finish again that's my goal get to the finish line now how however how you drive your ford escort is entirely up to you right right <laughs> you know but I go around the course in a slightly limited vehicle at a slow speed thinking, uh, yeah, I think I think a Cadillac, not my Cadillac, but I right. think a Cadillac can go around this course just fine. It'll be fine. And uh, so we've done it two years. Uh, it's in November. It's an annual event. Uh, the first year we did it, it was only the Hoopty Cross um, event. We didn't have the triathlon part. We added that this past year. And, uh, and we, we've got a fair turnout. Uh, it's growing. We see about 30, 40 cars of all different price ranges and all different, uh, abilities. And we see drivers of all different price ranges and abilities. And, uh, you know, and it, it's the first year we didn't break as many cars. Every car made at least one lap. The second year we broke most of the cars and uh, <laughs> quite a few didn't even make one lap. Uh, I was surprised. I don't know if it was because the course was a little bit different or if the uh, the quality of the car had fallen substantially <laughs> yeah. in the last yeah. year. Uh, 
you know, I'll blame it on the pandemic that uh, everyone's cars <laughs> went to crap. Yeah. Uh, so a cheap car was an even cheaper car this year. We'll, I don't know. Uh, but this year we added a triathlon aspect to it. I thought this would be kind of funny. And it was it was a, a feeler. I'm not sure how often we'll do it in the future. It's a lot of logistics. But the, the point was, so in the Gambler program, they have a thing for Coleman-powered mini bikes, full start Briggs & Stratton mini bikes with the fat tires. They love those things. And they've even uh, went to Iceland and did like 200 miles on one of those or something, wow. you know, in a group of guys wearing Viking helmets and whatnot. Oh, uh, so it's, it's, it's ridiculous. So the, the plan was let's do a human powered water crossing. Since we are at a lake that runs into a mini bike course. And if you complete all of those, you get a time deduction from your first, the lap in your car uh, that way everything's all tied together and it's a it's a benefit to do all three events in right. triathlon and it was hilarious it was the funniest thing i've ever seen uh, <laughs> there were people who tried to swim across the lake in november yeah. there were there were kayaks there was a guy on an inflatable mattress uh, <laughs> i didn't see anybody in a in a yeti cooler or a flex sealed shopping cart. I was hoping to see some things like that or like a trash can or hopefully those things will come in the future. But uh, it, people went across and they were wearing costumes and, you know, think of it like aquatic flute tog like Red Bull does. <laughs> uh, they went across the lake and then they jumped on their mini bikes and put on their helmets and they ran down and we set up this course to run through uh, a meadow that runs next to the field. And then across a couple uh, extremely sketchy, but only a little bit dangerous bridges to a couple islands in the middle of the lake. And then up a hill, and we had a, a course uh, in a caliche pit that they had to oh. run. Uh, the uphill part is difficult to traverse in a four-wheel drive Jeep, much less a Vespa or a <laughs> minibike. Uh, a lot of guys get off and push. Um, Nobody ended up in the water off of their mini bike, which I, I will be honest, I was kind of disappointed. I was <laughs> hoping to get at least one. Uh, they all navigated it quite well. I was impressed. And, uh, and it, was, it was hysterical to watch all that going on. And in, in addition to, you know, these hoopty cars racing off-road, um, it's, just, it's just hilarious, the entire event. And everyone has a good time. And you can be in it for 300 bucks. Yeah. You know, and, and there's nowhere else that you can race a points, a national point circuit for that kind of money. Oh, yeah. uh, this year, at the end of this season, I think they're actually going to June with the 2020 season. So June of 2021 or something like that. There's a couple more races this year. It happens around the entire country. And the winner this year gets an expense trip to a, uh, a rally driving school with professional rally drivers. They get to go and learn how to drive real rally cars in Texas, by the way. Uh, it's a uh, rally-ready driving school outside of Austin. Yep. And that's their prize. How cool is that for racing a car that costs $300? All right. You know, as as you soon as my Impreza is not a daily anymore, <laughs> I'm beating on it in yes. the hills of East Texas. or of, of Texas. I'm doing this event. One way or another, I'm doing Do this it. event. 
do it. There, there, there have been a couple impresses that, that have raced. Uh, it's awesome. Guys will copy uh, rally-inspired paint jobs and change them up just a little bit so they're a little inappropriate, uh, you know, and, and people spray paint their cars the day of and this and that, and it, uh, it's, it's great. Not only that, but we build great relationships with the local junkyard. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. That's Junkyard fantastic. fodder. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. So if people are interested in that, that's also Facebook and Instagram. I don't run those pages. I just help them right. with Texas and uh, and help build that sport in Texas. I would like to put on more of those events uh, throughout the year and in different parts of the state. The future that I see for that is like a regional event in three or I guess four, maybe five regions of Texas, and then have a Texas finals, so to speak, in Lubbock in my backyard in November and have that big event. Uh, of course, attend one or attend all, it doesn't matter. There have been a few people that have traveled around the entire country with their hoopty to race all of these events and try to get all the points. Um, if you're interested in that, Facebook and Instagram, Hoopty X, H-O-O-P-T-I-E-X. That's what you need to search for. There's a conversation group as well as the main page, and you can find the rules. It's real simple. Make sure your driver's window comes up. Uh, my girlfriend raced uh, an, an expedition that had only one door and no back, <laughs> and uh, I went into weight, weight savings mode in it and cut everything off of it, and uh, it was legal. As a seat belt, the battery was tied down, and she was – uh, in a helmet and full race gear. You don't have to be in full race gear, just a helmet, but I had it and you know, I might think she looks good in it. So I put her in it. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the literally the cheapest form of motorsports, especially in the dirt that you can get into and people will laugh at you, but they'll laugh with you because yeah. of how ridiculous it and crazy your vehicle is not because you showed up at the autocross in the $300 car you know, where they laugh at you because you're poor. It, it's not like that. <laughs> you know, here, here in the dirt, in the hoopty world, uh, where, where I have found myself living recently, yeah, come on in. Anything you got, we want it all. Bring it. So, Matt, you asked just earlier this week, are there any events that we have scheduled for 2021 where we'll need a camper and you right. know, take a trip? Yeah. I knew that I was going to ask this question, and... <laughs> that we are going to talk about this a little bit. So, uh -huh. yeah. That's so what, why I was a little coy in my answer back to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm good with oh, it. Oh, yeah. So, like, second weekend in November. Okay. Uh, outside Lubbock, Texas, Buffalo Springs Lake. That's where we have it. We've got uh, full hookup RV spots. We've got Airbnbs out here. We've got campgrounds. And Lubbock is only 10 miles away for hotels and amenities and everything else. Uh, it's it's a blast. It's an amazing time. As, as I'm going to alter the course a little bit, shorten it up a little bit uh, to try to give everyone more laps rather than longer laps and hopefully not break as many cars because that kind of puts a stall in the yeah. event. Uh, and I've, I'm also going to work on developing a better recovery plan to retrieve broken cars off the course to help speed up the process. Those are two of the things that, that from the two years that we've done this that we need to work on to make it more efficient. But it's a good time. Everyone has a good time, and it's ridiculous. I guarantee you, you uh, you leave with a smile. Well, if you promise not to tell my wife <laughs> what I'm doing, I will uh, I will make it my goal this year to have another vehicle that will get me back and forth to work, and I'll come beat on the Impreza in November. Oh man, 
That's awesome. I like hearing that. Uh, I, a lot of my buddies' wives, I may not have the best relationship with because I often <laughs> talk to them into ideas like this. So, so I, I take no responsibility for that. However, I have complained for it before. All right. All right. All right. So now we will jump into, uh, well, Matt, I'll, I'll let you introduce it. This is your segment and it is a absolutely blast of a way to finish an episode. It is. So this segment is called Random Misfire, and it's eight random questions. You know, the dreaded code that comes up, the PO300 Random Misfire engine code that everybody deals with, because every engine should have eight cylinders, right? Uh, Unless it's a straight six. Or six. Well, (laughs) yeah, straight six, or, you know, a a four-cylinder, you know, 4BT Cummins, right? You know, I'm, I'm... I know it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense. So uh, I, I agree with it. So I'm not arguing. No, I, I like it. That's, it. that's a good name. That's a good name. I like it. So uh, Corey and I will kind of go back and forth. We'll ask you some yes and no questions, some either or questions. Um, and Corey says there's one of them you can get wrong. Just I, one. I, I would disagree with that to an extent, but well, th- these oh, are just oh designed to. To get to know you and and let our listeners get to know you uh, some also and so um, Corey, why don't you jump in with the first one? All right, I already know the answer to this one, and, and I'll just well, I won't even preface it. Do you name your cars? Yes. Yes. So that is the only one that you could get right or wrong, <laughs> and you absolutely got it right. And uh, I, uh, I I I actually listened to this episode about naming cars yes. that y'all had. And, and the, the discussion. And yes, I name all of my cars, uh, even the ones that I sell. And uh, usually they're they're nice names, depending on how the vehicle treats me. <laughs> well, I saw you just recently purchased a uh, classic Cadillac, and I saw yes. that you've created an album for it with her name in it. And I won't give it away. You can if you would like. But uh, I, I was very pleased Knowing that you would be on our show very shortly, I was like, "All right, I got, I got one." So yes. Oh yeah, yeah, and I, I, so I like organization, especially on Facebook with pictures. That's why I don't cross my Facebook with my Instagram because the pictures go into random folders yeah. and it yeah. bothers me. Uh, but I try to all my albums of my cars that I have named and have decided upon a name, I put the name in the album. It's it's there. Yeah. The Cadillac that you're speaking of is a. 62 Deville sedan, um, matte black with flames, uh, slammed on the ground on a set of homemade white walls that I made. And uh, her name is Agena. She's named after the rocket booster section during the Apollo missions in the 60s uh, that, that um, you know, powered our trips to the moon. And if you believe in that, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> know all those all those programs uh agena was one of the rocket booster sections and that cadillac with the tail fins and the rear section looks like a rocket and mine is constantly on fire with the planes painted down the side <laughs> nice so i felt that was a that was a fitting name for absolutely fantastic fantastic i name all, all i name everything wait you passed that question with flying colors. Now it's all easy ones that you can get. <laughs> Good. No right or Good. wrong. I didn't even have to study. Yeah. There you go. All right. So uh, with 
we discussed the competition between Wrangler and Bronco earlier a little bit. If you had your choice, money yes. not an option, which would it be, Bronco or Jeep? Ooh, that's that's a really difficult question. Um, so it might be Jeep when the 392 comes out okay. for production. However, however, the history of the Bronco and the ability to put it in Class 3 off-road racing really draws to me. A short wheelbase, four-wheel drive, and the Bronco's history in Baja is much greater than the Jeep's history in Baja, even though people did race Jeeps and still do race Jeeps uh, in, in Baja. The, the, the heritage behind the, the, the Bronco uh, is there, and it doesn't hurt that I'm friends with the Hall family. Uh, you know, and their their involvement with the Bronco program as well. Uh, that's a that's a really difficult question, and uh, I'm not sure that I have a defined answer on that. Okay, all right. And well, it is, especially for someone as ingrained in the culture as he is, it's a very tough question because the Bronco's not even out yet. Right. And you know, most of the uh, people we ask that of is you know, styling, you know, brand preference, this, that, and the other. So that was a really tough one to throw at him. So. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. So, I, I, I will say that I do currently own a Jeep, and I did own a Bronco, and the Bronco was the worst vehicle I ever owned. <laughs> Whether it was my fault or someone else's, I don't know. But I, it was riddled with. Well, not riddled. It had one very specific problem that was the bane of my existence, and I could never get it fixed to where I could enjoy that Bronco. So, so there it is truly that. was I do fix or repair AT. daily. And, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> I've owned a few Fords, so I can't say I'm not as as much as it seems like I may be a Mopar guy. I'm really not brand specific. I just want to race a TRX in the uh, best of the desert. Yeah. All right, so going back through your history and just the conversation we've had up to this point, I think I know the answer to this one because of just uh, your stance on the TRX, but also knowing your history, would you rather build it or buy it? It... That's stolen from you, It depends on what, what it is. So... I like working on cars. I don't like fixing broken everyday cars. That that's monotonous and it and it bothers me trying to track down problems. However, if that problem is performance related or you know hot rod in nature, then I'm all for it. Um, that's a that's a tough one. Uh, I don't discredit people that buy things that are already done. Because I know how much work it takes right. to build one. I've sold many vehicles half finished because I just I ran out of steam or money or interest or you know on it. But the pride in having things that you have built uh, c- cannot be matched. Right. It can't. Uh, I've some of the cars, a lot of the cars. I do all my own wrench work for ninety percent of it. So I have pride in every vehicle that I have because I I do work on all of my cars. Uh, unless it's some specialty thing or I don't have time to, to work on something specific. But all the custom stuff, I, I try to do it myself or at least learn how to do it myself to because that it does feel good at the end of the day to be driving down the road in, in a vehicle that you put blood, sweat, and tears into of your own and not just your wallet. However, 
I don't discredit people that have bought something, yeah. uh, you know, that's done. As long as cars are being bought and on the road and used and enjoyed and someone's one person smiles from it, you do whatever you want with your cars, man. Yep. That's better than them rotting in a junkyard or rotting on a dealership lot. Yep. That's all I ask is just do something, make it smile from a car. That's cool. Well said. Well said. Very well said. Um, I'm going to change this one. We usually ask if you prefer two wheels or four wheels, but I'm going to change it just a little bit because of your history, and I'm going to hey. ask it this way. Would you rather two-wheel drive or four-wheel drive? That's a good question. Uh, four-wheel drive. Uh, selectable four-wheel drive uh, <laughs> is, is my pers- personal preference. Uh, not, not just for racing or being in the dirt or what have you, uh, but all around it's better to have it and, and not need it than to need it and not have it. Yep. Uh, a lot of that comes from experience in the desert where I am a firm believer in four-wheel drive. Uh, because you can get into big problems and high horsepower rear wheel drive vehicles often find themselves in bigger problems because they are two wheel drive or rear wheel drive. Yeah. So I'm four wheel drive all the time. Yep, definitely. I'd like to build some road cars that are four wheel drive or all wheel drive and do some road racing in them. I just think that it's a it's a ma- major advantage all the time. So yeah, definitely four wheel cool. drive. Very cool. More technology. I'm not big on motorcycles. I have yeah. I have. I've got two dirt bikes and I am not good on them. So I four wheels, two wheels or four wheels is definitely four wheels. Yeah. All right. So more technology in vehicles or less technology in vehicles? That's, uh, that's another good question. Mm, it, de- it depends on the technology. So my Cadillac right now is carbureted. It's getting EFI very soon because it left me, it, well, it didn't leave me, but I wanted to drive it New Year's night and cruise around to all my friends' houses in my Cadillac. Wouldn't start uh, because of the carburetor. So not a big fan of that. However, it's got some advantages in other ways, right. and this can be related also to off-road. Uh, but more power, better power curves, things like that come from technology. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of nannies that you can't turn off on the car that can detract from the driving experience itself if someone wants to buy an automated car that's fine again if it makes you smile buy it and do it and have fun with it but i like to have tactile feel in my vehicle uh you know i like the the vehicle to respond to me and me to have to respond to the vehicle not the vehicle responding to itself so to speak so it goes it can go either way uh, i think there should be a limit on the technology being put into vehicles i think it can go too far yeah agreed so i'm kind of in the middle on that one there you know, yeah. kind of in the middle i like fuel injection but i don't want the car to drive itself yeah it's a good place to be yeah i'm somewhere definitely. in there definitely although self driving cars are pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> i mean i you know i I wouldn't mind taking a nap on a long road trip. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, yeah. We'll see. We'll see if better. It's all about the purpose of the vehicle and right. what you're using it for. So. Right. right. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Would you have a manual transmission or do you prefer a manual transmission or an automatic transmission? Man, you're you're asking these <laughs> multi-level questions. That not, you, you said 
yes or no or pick Either one or, or the other. And I it's mean... not the case. <laughs> it's not the case. So just wait till I we get like to the bonus round. That's depends, right. <laughs> right. And it, it it depends on the application of the vehicle. Okay. Um, my Jeep is a manual and it's awesome. I love it as a manual. Put it in first gear and four low and it goes wherever you point it. No big deal. My off-road race truck is an automatic. I would not want that as a manual. I wouldn't want to have to be constantly sorting gears out and have to have concern for rapid terrain changes and, and the, the, the gearing that it's in and potentially miss a gear and create a bigger problem. It's, there's some headaches there. Um, in town and whatnot, daily driving, I don't really care one way or the other. I'll drive anything that's in put in front of me uh, i've got an old uh 924 porsche that is lifted on all trains believe it or not you know uh, everything i have goes in the dirt at least once and it's a manual transmission but it's going to be a blast to drive uh you know it it may not be real comfortable around town but getting it out in the dirt and getting it out on some windy roads and stuff like that it'll be it'll be a lot of fun uh, my chase truck Big three-quarter ton truck. It's got the ASIN transmission in it, six-speed automatic. Love it. Don't have to shift it. I've owned a handful of other uh, three-quarter and one-ton trucks with manual transmissions, and while they do pull well, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work yeah. to drive those trucks, especially with a trailer in traffic and whatnot. Man, a good automatic transmission in a in a tow pig is really nice and comfortable, and you enjoy your trip a little bit more, in my opinion. You run some greater risk of, uh, you know, failure, but it's a overall the driving experience for that particular vehicle is a little bit better. I'm on the fence on those two. Uh, I just don't know that I would want an automatic with paddle shifters. I don't know if those are all that great or not. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we've been hitting you kind of hard. This one hopefully will be easier. I don't know. We'll see. So I don't believe you. <laughs> we're in Texas. Uh, you've mentioned just all the places you've traveled for racing and whatnot. Getting anywhere I, involves a road trip. So, favorite road trip snack? Ooh. Hmm. I don't. I don't eat a lot when I'm on the road, no? and I don't stop. No, I. I really don't because I. While I enjoy the road trip, I've never taken a road trip for the sake of the road trip. I have a destination, and I try to get there as efficiently as I can and as quickly as I can because I have something else going on. And oftentimes, my road trips are not – while you know racing and things like that is for pleasure and recreation, I have a business aspect right. to it. So I'm working, whether it's I'm getting paid for it or not. You, you, 99% not, but I, there's, I have things to do and I need to get there and I need to, to make up the miles and, and be there. And I, I enjoy the drive. Uh, I enjoy driving anywhere and everywhere, but I've never been on a road trip per se, just for the sake of the road trip. And it's something that I'm trying to schedule somewhere in my time to do because I love cars and I love being right. on the road and that's what I want to do. Um, so I, I really don't have a favorite uh, favorite road trip food. I, I do like gas station pizza and gas station hot dogs, uh, especially the ones that might have a little green tint to them. <laughs> They're pretty good. I'm not going to lie. A little something extra in there. 
<laughs> a little, you know, you know, a little something extra. Uh, all, all sups, beef and bean burritos. If you're out in West Texas in, in uh, Eastern New Mexico, that's, that's pretty good. I usually won't pass an all sups without stopping and getting some fuel and getting one of those. Nice. All nice. right, Matt, bring us home. All right. Last one. And, uh, and this one's a little easier one too. Not, not too crazy. Um, and I realize that with as wild and crazy as your schedule is, you may not have much downtime. But when you have downtime and you pick out a car movie, what's the go-to car movie that you watch? Or, or what would be your favorite car movie? Good. That's a good question. Okay. I've got two that I watch regularly. Okay. Uh, one is the first Dust to Glory film about the Baja 1000. Okay. Uh, it gives me it gives me chills every time I watch it, and I've I've watched it from the day it came out uh, until now over 15 years, and uh, and it gives me goosebumps every single time without question. Um, the other movie for entertainment, if I'm not looking for a spiritual experience like I am with with films about Baja uh, and off road racing. I, I really, really like the uh, Dak Shepard film Hit and Run. Okay. I, it's Dax, Dax seems like such a cool car guy. He used to race off-road cars. He put his off-road car in that movie. All the cars in that movie that he's driving are his cars. Nice. The Lincoln Continental, you know, uh, and uh, the, the relationship that he has with his wife, Kristen, and in that movie they play a couple and interact. It's just all around an awesome movie. You can watch it with your girlfriend or your wife, take a date out on it. And, uh, and both of you will get something from that film. And it's got some awesome cars. It's a good car movie for sure. Awesome. Sure. I'll be looking that one up for sure. Yeah. I will say oh, yeah. watch it. that question has given us quite a lot of fodder uh, yeah. for, you know, being locked up at home and on quarantine for a very oh, long yeah. period of time. So, yeah, uh, I still haven't forgiven, uh, forgiven sean jones for his recommendation so if you haven't seen uh the art of racing in the rain uh <laughs> no i haven't it's it's on my list that's on my list that's one i want to watch with my girlfriend we kind of talked about it and that said one that hit. we would watch it together that one, that one hit kind of hard I, I, I wasn't prepared for that one <laughs> so that's what i've heard yeah that's yeah. what i've heard yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I still haven't forgiven Sean for recommending that <laughs> I was not ready. So, All right. Well, uh, just as we are skidding into uh, the finish line on this episode, just give people one more chance. Where should they go to find you and all that you're interested in? Uh, plug sure. all your accounts, and, and we'll go up from there. Sure. Uh, Facebook and Instagram are what I'm – most uh, what I use most, I don't do Snapchat or Twitter or TikTok or any of that stuff. I can't balance that many things. So Facebook and Instagram, me personally, Bryant Blakemore or Tequachi Motorsports, T-A-Q-U-A-C-H-E Motorsports. Or if you want to follow along with uh, the Desert Racing Association, that's Tora, T-O-R-R-A or Tejas Off-Road Racing Association. Uh, anywhere there, I'm I'm readily available all the time, and I, I like interacting with people. So come look me up and uh, build my follower account. I have a YouTube, too, the 
watch motorsports. Uh, like and subscribe. And watch me roll my race truck in front of everybody. Video <laughs> I'm definitely going <laughs> and finding that video as soon as possible. So Search for Sierra Blanca Huckfest, uh, unofficial winner, and it, you'll see it. Uh, that uh, that uh, big Dodge took off like an airplane. Yeah. I love it. Just don't know how to land it. All right. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Bryant, so much for coming on and shooting the breeze and telling your story. We will keep the lines of communication open because I I don't believe that you have even scratched the surface on what you can share with us and just uh, looking to keep the lines of communication open with you. So thank you very much. And guys, I, I really appreciate you having me on and finding interest in what I'm doing and uh, and finding that it might be interesting to other people. I really appreciate that. And I hope that uh, I can inspire people to, to uh, do what they want to do, especially in the automotive section and especially in desert racing and it, even more especially in Texas. Yep. Uh, that That's my only goal is to, is to help people uh, follow those types of dreams like I have been able to. And I'll help out anybody any way that I can. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Wow. Two episodes worth of really great content. Fantastic. I've said it before, the true blessing of what Garage Talk is turning into is just building connections with people throughout the industry who do awesome stuff. Yeah. Bryant hit on it several times in our our two episodes worth of conversation that he's just a normal guy that does really cool stuff. And he his message is really to encourage everyone to, if you want to do it, find a way, make a plan and do it. And that's essentially what garage talk is for you and I is you and I both wanted to be involved in the auto industry in a more grand scale than either of us were currently. I was more or less a fan. You're (laughs) at least getting your hands dirty, but we wanted more. And, and that, is what started garage talk and we're just incredibly grateful to each and every one of you for coming back and listening we're thankful to all of our guests uh this weekend last week we're thankful to bryant for coming on and sharing his story definitely so much more to tell i know we've just scratched the surface of some of the things he's done be sure and check him out all his links are in the show notes below you can head on over to gtgaragetalk.com find out more of what we're into what we're driving what the latest car news, anything that you would want to know about Matt and I, just head on over to gtgaragetalk.com for that information. And you'll be the first to know when it is I go and beat on the Subaru yes. in the dirt. So, yes. uh, If you haven't already, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, share with your friends, help us out, and continue helping us to grow this channel into something. And you can also you know, help us out. Head on over to patreon.com slash gt garage talk and you know maybe find a few perks for helping a couple guys at starting an automotive career yeah so to speak so yeah. thank you thank you thank you so much for listening to this week and last and until next time bye